0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Ageism is typically thought of as discrimination against older adults. But new research from the Harvard Business Review shows that women in leadership positions experience this type of bias at every age, whether it's the pressure to look younger or being called pet names like kiddo or young lady. Joining us now to weigh in on the issue and to talk about solutions as a panel of women leaders in the Chicago area. Amy S. Hilliard is a professor at UChicago Booth School of Business. She's also the author of Pivot for Success. Hone your vision, shift your energy, make your move. Welcome to Reset, Professor.
1: Thank you. I'm very glad to be here.
0: Also here is Rohini Day, who's founder of Let's Talk Women, a coalition of women restaurateurs across the country. And she's also the owner and founder of Vermilion, which is an Indian fusion restaurant in River North that just celebrated its twentieth anniversary. Great to have you back, Rohini.
2: Pleasure, Sasha.
0: And rounding out our panel is Karen Lang, national president of the board of directors of Girl Scouts USA, and she's also the CEO of Mate Co. Welcome, Karen.
3: Thanks so much, Sasha.
0: and am me on this incredibly important topic. We want to hear from you, too, folks. Are you a woman who has faced ageism or gender bias in your industry? You can join the conversation at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. So you women are all established in your careers, years and years of experience under your belt. I'm curious, though, your reaction to the Harvard Business Review article that's finding that women in leadership are experiencing ageism at every age. I'll go to you first, Karen.
3: I think it's definitely true, Sasha. And I mean, we know that from the research from AARP, definitely that 78% of all workers indicate that they have experienced some age discrimination in the workplace. And we know in, in the areas in which I've practiced, meaning big law as well as construction and engineering, from the very outset, it is a critical problem um, for persons even getting into the workforce and getting their first job, not only as an associate, but for making it to a piece of the pile in the equity. So I, I believe it is pervasive and, and hopefully we'll be able to have some time today to talk about solutions.
0: Yeah. Professor Hilliard, what do you think about this this article? Any surprises
1: to None. you? None. I've experienced it in my career, um, all levels of it, and add to that racism. Um, and it's a Rubik's group. It's all the isms. It's all the isms, and when you put them all together, it's really a Rubik's cube because you're twisting all of these things around trying to make the cube fit and snap into place, but it really doesn't. It
2: keeps twirling.
1: Mm. What about you, Rohini?
2: So, Sasha, um, given that women are honey and sweetie and dear when they're young, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: or they're uh, invisible when they're old, yeah, um, it's not ageism, it's outright misogyny. Let's just call it what it is. It's sexism, it's misogyny. So that's my response to that. Yes, it exists at every uh, stage. In my case, you know, my prior background was with the World Bank, working with countries at the policy level. Yeah. Saw it there. You, I mean, it is, it is bleak when it comes to cabinets, ministries, and including in the U.S. And I'd love wow. to spend some time on how the U.S. has regressed substantively when it comes to women. And uh, then I worked at McKinsey & Company, management consulting with Fortune 100, where it's, there's a huge spotlight and opportunity now, but the numbers do not reflect progress at all. The U.S. is 46th out of all countries in the world and regressing. Mm. And now I'm an entrepreneur in uh, restaurants, the food industry. Any and
0: differences there?
2: What I call the glass ceiling... Elsewhere, the gastro ceiling is fundamentally lower and we can explore that later. Oh, my goodness.
0: You know, Karen, listening to to Rohini's comments there, why do you think that women in the workplace are generally not seen as valuable or as as relevant as their male counterparts, especially as we get older? Where, Where did that come from?
3: Well, I think it's a number of different aspects, and some of it we have to own ourselves because we let it happen, right? And that's why my role in terms of the national president of the Girl Scouts has been so important to me, because we build literally from kindergarten on girls and ultimately women of courage, confidence, and character who really are making the world a better place. But the problem is that when it starts, and Harvard has excuse me, other great studies about this, about talking about how women don't raise their hand to get some of the positions and the opportunity to be able to move forward until they're 150% ready for the position. And men are about 50 or 60%. Then I'll learn on the job. And that has continued, and women are self-effacing. So even as we get older, I will hear women make comments about, oh, well, you know, this old woman does X, Y, or Z. Or, indeed, they'll say, you know, this technology it's something, you know, I, I'm just getting off of, you know, uh, my space. Those kinds of things, we have to be very careful and build really our own, if you will, business continuity plan from the very outset. And have to own it and not allow, as we were hearing from Rohini, we cannot allow that sort of misogynism or or outright racism um, or ageism from the very beginning. And we have to teach our girls and young women that this is unacceptable.
0: Professor, the the Harvard Business Review article that I I mentioned, it includes a a survey of more than 900, I think it was 913 Mm -hmm. women leaders across these large sectors. Uh, They were categorized as young, which is under 40, middle age, which is 40 to 60 years old, and older women, which were over 60. You mentioned earlier... I've seen this all the way through. Yes. Talk to us about when you first experienced ageism. I want to hear about that.
1: Yes. Well, as a graduate of the Harvard Business School, I have seen it across all aspects of my career. When I went to the Gillette Company after graduating from Harvard Business School to take a new position as a at the director level, and I walk into the door waiting to go into the office, suited up, briefcase, get to the door, and... And I was told, you know, first of all, I was told, oh, you must be the new temp. Uh, No, Mm. I'm the new director of marketing. When I get there and then I am pursuing the career, doing well with the career, making strides with the brands that I was assigned to, expecting to get promoted to the next level, I was told I wasn't seasoned enough, even though the results were on paper. So that word of being not seasoned enough was the old-ism, not considered for promotion, okay? Yes. And that happened at that level. Well, then I did get the promotion after I proved myself again, and I said, okay, got that. And then I went forward with that move to see how I could even move further, got the company to acquire a company, So I had no acquisitions experience. But one of the things that that article talked about in terms of the solutions is to base things on skills. And this is what I would suggest women do, because in those articles and in the position of what do we do about it, Mm -hmm. we've got to change our mindset because we cannot rely on the systematic infrastructures to change fast enough. It is our mindset that must change. Number one is if you've got the skills, you do have to raise your hand. I'm on the Lean In Advisory Board with Cheryl Sandberg and have been for years. And one of the things that is taught there in the Lean In circles is to the ability to raise your hand and speak up for yourself and advocate for yourself is very important at every stage of your career. And when I was able to raise my hand and say, the seasoning piece—we're not cooking here, okay? <laughs> we are moving my career and yeah. the ability to raise my hand and say, "I think I'm seasoned enough because of A, B, C, D that I have done and the skills that I am bringing to the table." I love that is what should be important here. So I think that we've got to change our mindsets in order to move forward. Yeah,
0: I until I experienced it firsthand. Uh, this was in my late twenties, probably about 28. I was one of the people that thought ageism referred to discrimination against older employees, and and that was it. Mm -hmm. But we know now, especially, that is not the case. Like, youngism, that's actually a thing. I remember I was, you know, in a pretty senior position in a newsroom. This was in in Toronto, and I I had men who were in their 50s and 60s reporting to me as I was, you know, heading newscasts on the weekends, Mm -hmm. and they did not like that. First of all, I'm young and I'm a young black woman. What?
2: Yeah, you hit all the wrong buttons. That was
0: right. wild to them. Mm-hmm. I had to prove myself, right? It wasn't, it wasn't until I showed, as you said, Professor, my skills mm-hmm. that it was like, okay, then the respect comes That's right. after the fact. Uh, are there moments in your career, Rohini, where you think back and you're like, maybe you didn't realize it as ageism then, but now you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, that was, that was ageism.
2: So, Sasha, I'm very fortunate in that, you know, a lot of the things that Karen said and Amy said resonate with me. I invested in, in, in myself right up front, came to the U.S. for a Ph.D. in economics, World Bank, McKinsey, did not ever lack confidence. You know, yes. so that was a huge asset. That's and I, fabulous. I don't think I experienced any gender discrimination or if I did, I was oblivious to it.
0: As you came in and you said, I'm here. Uh,
2: yeah, I'm here. Uh, And I would say I'm effing (laughs) you, like it or not, you know. (laughs) So, but there are, when I came to my industry, it stunned me, especially restaurants. Restaurants. I'll come back to that. But there are two things that Amy said and Karen said that really, really resonate. They're my mantras as well. One is, Karen spoke about our young girls and teaching them to be confident, right? right? I would go above and beyond and say we as a society can just, eliminate this entire discussion in one generation if we teach our daughters to be fierce. Mm. Just be done with it. You know, I see parents like adoringly gazing and coaching their kids in baseball and parks and this and that and teams and teaching them competitiveness, fierceness, teams. you know, how to be rambun- rambunctious, how to take risks. What are we doing for our daughters? Let's stop teaching them to be just sweet, nice, collaborative, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful skills to have, which men should have too. And they do, some of them. But focus on just getting our girls to be really fierce and risk seeking. That would be one. And there are very easy ways to do that. Mm -hmm. Number two is what you spoke about leaning in. And I think leaning is leaning in is fantastic. Women have to be their best advocates and that too is a muscle you can easily cultivate. But leaning in alone is far from the solution. And so to, to just put the put the onus on women to solve the issue is yeah. fundamentally wrong when society is to blame. US policy is regressive in this aspect and corporations have not done enough. I'd like to build on that
1: because sure. Men have to play a role because the hierarchy of power is in the male hierarchy. That's what has to change. And men can be allies in this. There are men who are more than willing to be mentors and allies in the struggle, if you will. And if you only say that it's all on women to make the change either by making sure that young women are fierce, and I'm in total agreement with that, you know, I'm one of four daughters. I don't have any brothers. Mm-hmm. And I was raised to be fierce yeah. by my mother mm-hmm. and my father. Right. So it was none of this stuff about you don't rake leaves because you're a girl. Yeah. No, you rake leaves and shovel snow. And
0: I can relate. And I'm now raising two girls. Exactly. And so, I mean, everything you Femme. just said, Rohini, yeah. is hitting me. You That's know. right. Um, I, and they're watching me. That's they're right. They're watching mm-hmm. everything I do. I was a single mom for a long time. Me too. So they, they saw me climb up the ranks and they, you know, they were in every newsroom I've worked in. That's right. So they've seen just how things have shifted how people respond to me now versus back then but but
2: there's something about the U.S. culture you know as an immigrant who's traveled 55 countries and goes back to India every year I see something wrong in the U.S. culture in the way we approach women and our daughters why is it that all women don't stand up outright and I'm just going to wear my convictions on my sleeve Sasha I never mince my words (laughs) why is it that all women don't stand up outright and say we will not elect leaders who consider women objects to be groped or grabbed. Or we will not elect policy leaders who consider women to be chattel to produce babies. Or we will not elect leaders who do not mandate that 30% or 50% of boards be women. Yeah. And, And stop being happy with just March and Women's History Month. It's a travesty.
0: Well, I, well, I, I want to bring Karen back into yes. the conversation because mm-hmm. Rohina just brings up a, a really good point, Karen. I mean, women with families, they do face certain hurdles in the workplace, right? Research, research actually shows uh, women who take longer leaves, mm-hmm. they're seen as less desirable. What do you think is behind that, Karen?
3: Well, well I'll give you a couple different examples. And you, and you talked early on, and Amy gave some of her personal experiences, et cetera. And, and I can't because, you know, I was the head of the summer program as well as hiring partner for many years in uh, big law. And we saw it in the statistics, really, because my, my background, econometrics, et cetera, we look at, at the stats, right, and, and let's look at the actual facts. And the fact that since I graduated back in 1987 from law school, although now I'm happy to report over 50% of the classes in the best law schools, in the, at least in the states, really, are over um, 50% are made up of women associates, it's not making it to equity partner. So the actual cash, they may get a title as an income partner, but they're not getting it. It's mm. now only nine points better than it was. It's maybe in big law and the AmLaw, you know, top uh, five out of 20 firms, they're at about 25% women equity. Wow. So there's a problem, and if it, it, Amy's right, it's not just the women because we can. And I'm not a fan of mentoring versus sponsoring. I, th- I think it has to be much more affirmative. You can mentor somebody and give them a whole bunch of great ideas, but if you don't give them clients, you don't give them cash, you don't give them the support, bring them into your companies, all of these opportunities, bring them onto your boards, they're not going to make the kinds of progressions that they need to make in one generation. Mm-hmm. And being the first person on either side of my family that was even able to go to college, let alone law school, when they came over on the boat to Ellis Island. I know how important this is to do this quickly, and I also see that men have gotten very able, once women do, and there are certain of them that can, like the other two guests you have on this program, Rahini and Amy, they can break through the the glass ceiling. What happens is it gets replaced, in my view, with the bulletproof kind. So it becomes more and more difficult because they've learned the ways around it and it doesn't happen. So what we need to do, in my view, is to be able to have women Teach not only their daughters, but I have a daughter and two sons, mm-hmm. teach those right. sons that they must ah. be supportive of their wives and spouses. And my daughter-in-law has a Ph.D. in uh, genetics from Johns Hopkins, and my son knows that he better be supporting every opportunity for her to get to the C-suite because she's got to cure cancer and do it quickly, right? Right. Yes, So it's the onus on us in all steps, and the men better be just as supportive as Amy said.
0: This is a good time to hear from a caller who we've got standing by. Here's Megan in Gurney. Hey, Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be on. What are your thoughts on this discussion?
3: It's a wonderful discussion and uh, so needed. One thing that kind of has come to mind um, is women supporting other women. So... How do we uh, promote more of that? Unfortunately, at times um, when one woman rises above, whether it be in the educational setting or, you know, business setting, uh, the other women don't always support that. Or my experience has been um, when advocating um, for myself, that's not always supported by other women.
0: Yeah, no, you bring up an excellent point, Megan. First of all, thank you for calling in. You're getting head nods around the table. (laughs) Professor, why don't you weigh in on that before we take a pause?
1: I think it is a critical thing for women to advocate and be supportive of other women. If we don't do it, we will not continue to move forward. When I got to the Booth School, one of my sponsors is another woman, the woman who won the Um, the award for the best teacher across all Booth teachers. And she is a wonderful sponsor and friend to me. And, you know, this happened really organically, but it has been wonderful for me in this new environment. And I think that it is critical for women to support women. I, I, I support it wherever I can go, because if we don't lift each other up, who will? We've got to have that mindset among ourselves all the time because we've got battles that are different from men and if we don't recognize that and have a safe space among ourselves to share stories and strategies to move forward we will miss opportunities. And this is something that helps with the mindset before we take the break that I want to, and we can come back to this. There is a different arc going on in terms of women's careers because as women reach their 60s and their 70s, that starts to change. They're now moving, you know, they're talking, there's a big discussion about what happens after women reach that age because they are no longer necessarily taking care of children. Yeah. They might be taking care of older parents, but they are now free to do more things. The New York Times came out in 2019 with an article that said, you know, they older women are still working because they are having too much fun, hmm. and I'll talk more about that later. We'll take a pause. There's some stats that support that, and That's-
0: women supporting women are part of it. That's Amy S. Hilliard, who's a professor at U Chicago Booth School of Business. We've also got Rohini Day with us, owner of Vermillion Restaurant and founder of Let's Talk Women. And Karen Lang, who's national president of the board of directors of Girl Scouts USA. They will be sticking around after the break to continue this conversation about ageism and gender bias that women face in the workplace and solutions. Now with more Reset, I'm your host, Sasha Ann Simons. We're continuing our conversation about ageism and gender bias that women face in the workplace. Now, Before the break, we talked about how these issues affect women in leadership positions at every age. Let's turn now to solutions. Our panel is still with us. Amy S. Hilliard, who's entrepreneur and UChicago Booth School of Business professor. Rohini Day, who's owner of Vermillion Restaurant and founder of the coalition Let's Talk Women. And Karen Lang, who's National President of the Board of Directors of Girl Scouts USA and CEO of Mate Co. We're also taking your calls at 866-915-WBEZ if you want to join the conversation and maybe talk about how we can fight ageism and gender bias against working women. All right. So, Karen, you have you've paved the way for other women in law and construction, but your role with the Girl Scouts is another way that you're trying to raise leaders. Talk more about that.
3: Well, I think it's critical that we give, as Mahaney mentioned it really well, um, girls the arrows in their quiver to really understand that every step of the way they cannot take themselves out of contention. So we see in programming that we've done, and Girl Scouts, you know, folks think about it as as cookies and camping, and it's far more than that. The STEM and STEAM experiences that we uh, provide girls from, you know, the kindergarten on, give them the opportunity to be able to understand it. so they don't self-select out of those careers and say by middle school that they're no longer interested in science. because girls when they have the role models ahead of them and see these interests, et cetera, they pursue careers in all of these different aspects. So I think it's very critical to do that. And I, I think it's also critical on the other end, And Amy mentioned this about how many years later that after even having successful careers or perhaps going on alternative work arrangements or otherwise to be able to have time to care for children or even have children or adopt or otherwise and then aging parents and or partners, that women want to come back and and have many years left on their runway and yet, they're not getting the opportunities to be able to do so. So we need to be able to provide more opportunities. And UChicago does a great job of this, of certificate programs or otherwise, mm-hmm. so that women on the you know other side of the career arc can be able to have current dates on their resume that they went and took a, a an AI program or got a certification in uh, supply chain logistics or whatever it may be, so that you can you know take out some of those antiquated references and some of our um, resumes and be able to move forward and show that they're still lifelong learning and have so many potential decades left of, of adding back to the workplace. So I think it's important from, if you will, kindergarten to the C suite and beyond to be able to mm. help women and, and start it at every step of the way. And for my philanthropic giving back, it, it started, and I thought the Girl Scouts was the place to be able to give back in that sense. So Sasha, and that's my answer.
0: And uh, Rohini, you started Let's Talk Women during the pandemic. It was to empower women restaurateurs and um, culinary workers. Uh, you've talked a bit about this already, that it's, it's now expanded to different cities across the country. Tell us the biggest barriers that you hear from women restaurateurs and how your group has helped them.
2: So Let's Talk Women was, uh, I started that with 15 of us in 2020 in Chicago. Um, when it was the most existential stage of our, you know, businesses, yeah. we were all at, on the brink of extinction. Uh, it's now a milestone. We just crossed hundred of us women restaurant owners. And our sole focus is on boosting each other's businesses. And this is through combining the best of our knowledge. Go get finance from here. Get your vendor from here. Do this for marketing. Oh, this is my great. media and PR with total candor. We have a shared referral list. We pool our knowledge. We are each other's restaurateurs. Unfortunately, women-owned businesses in our field tend to peak at from one to three entities. So when you think about Chicago, there's no Let Us Entertain You or Boca or 50-50. You're right, right, right. So that, then we do various initiatives to boost our visibility together because that's a big one. 80% 80% of the PR goes to three or four celebrity names in Chicago. And to us, that's just ridiculous. Mm. And we work with corporations who directly want to champion women entrepreneurs because we have zero overheads and it's all about boosting our businesses. So there are several ways that we promote each other. And now I've grown this into 14 different cities Wow! in, in two and a half years. 800 of us women restaurateurs. So anyone can magnify their footprint, anyone who wants to empower other women. And I think that's a fundamentally important point. But that being said, again, leaning in is a fraction of the solution. A lot rests on us as a society Mm -hmm. and as parents. A lot rests on us on who we elect to be our leaders and make the right policy decisions for us. There are eminent global models to learn from. Scandinavia I admire tremendously. We might scoff that it's socialist, but a country that invests in their women, yeah. in their children, in their education and health over defense, over tax clawbacks for corporations to give shareholder dividends and over carry forward interest loops to exacerbate inequality is a better society. Mm. So there's a lot we can learn from globally and in, in addition to helping each other.
0: Professor, you wrote a, a pretty powerful book on on how women can harness their power, mm-hmm. right? And, and achieve their goals in life and in work. Uh, I'm curious the inspiration. And I also want to touch back on something we talked about earlier, if you will. Like, I mean, we talked about how women overall can support each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How can women across generations do that?
1: Well, in my book, Pivot for Success, it's about honing your vision, shifting your energy, and then making your moves. Because if you have a vision for what you want to do, be it to look at the global ways that other societies have made different changes, that vision has a way of empowering and changing things. But you've got to shift your energy toward the decisions that you want to make. And that's a personal thing. So you're changing your energy toward the decisions you want to make, and then you make your moves. And I was just gratified by the number of people who endorsed the book, like Sheryl Sandberg, like the president of Howard University, Dr. Wayne Frederick, like other entrepreneurs who, uh, Tom Tom Burrell here in Chicago, Mm. who endorsed the book, and the head of the Entrepreneurship Institute, Linda Dara of Northwestern University. So as an entrepreneur myself of many years, including 15 years in the food industry, you know who I know so I know what you're talking about in terms of the challenges in the food industry I take the tack of helping other people through teaching and through spreading the word that way and helping other women see what you can do and being an example and a role model in that way and doing and you, it you that way. You mentioned earlier about the career arc. The career arc different is different now. Is different arc. There, The New York Times article in 2019 said that and that Nearly 30% of women 65 to 69 are working. That's up from 15% in the late 80s. So the women who are in that age cohort are still working longer. And it's because women started their careers and thinking about more education and working on their careers and staying in the careers longer once they have raised their children and done that part. There's still one of the quotes was, I have too much energy and too much intensity not to be engaged. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we need to think about. And don't forget entrepreneurship, because women are going back. The great resignation continues. All of the things in those articles about women not being happy with corporate America, 20 percent, excuse me. Uh, 23% of a study done by Guardian Financial said that that's why women go to entrepreneurship, because they're dissatisfied with corporate America. Right. And 27% are just ready to be their own boss. Yeah. So 50% of those women say, I'm ready to be an entrepreneur. And that's Sounds what they're right. doing. And so when you look at that and those particular stats of women who want to be entrepreneurs, yes, there's going to be, ob- there's going to be obstacles. Yes, P- banks are still not giving women enough money. Private equity is still not giving right. women enough money. But again, we can change that dynamic by supporting other women. There are private equity groups that do that. Yeah, But again, going just one final point, because when you look at that arc of women and look at some of the assumptions that women need to um, start changing, in my book, there are 10 pivot points about what to do. Too, that Michelle Obama endorsed. Nice. I'm very, very happy about. Got to read the book. Got to read the book. Got to read the on, book. I, I really
2: don't want to lose Karen's point, though. Also, I, and I think Amy, you too mentioned it mm-hmm. about the men really in our lives? cultivating champions. Yes. yes. There are amazing male allies, that's champions, right. yeah. corporations who are willing to, to, to back. And to be fair, women. our
0: caller that's standing by. Yeah. That, I don't have time to get to Danielle in Humboldt Park. Thank you so much for calling. I think that's what she wanted to do as well. Was elevate Karen's point about the men in our lives supporting women advancing
2: frankly sasha i am so sick of going to women's conferences i feel it just doesn't move move the needle we discuss the same issues over and over again ad nauseum and come back to it a year later
0: well karen (laughs) uh, as we we close here i mean any tips for early career working women who could be listening to us right now or words of encouragement for that woman listening with years of experience but she's feeling burnt out or overlooked
3: I would say that um, we hear much in the world, and I, as a former chief strategy officer, about the word strategic and thinking about this. I, I think strategic is another way, and, and Lohini probably said the same thing, of just meaning wicked smart and really organized. Yeah. And, and women are both, right? But they do it for everyone else. So they do it for their kids' schedules. They do it for taking you know, parents to assisted living. They do all these other things, and they don't take the time outside of their business to really do what I think is necessary and build their own if you will, business continuity plan. And I think it has to start from as soon as they are in college and to look for, on. and we have all these social media tools that didn't exist when I went to school, right? So you can look at social media and through your alumni groups to be able to look at your Chicago Northwestern or otherwise. I teach as an adjunct in Northwestern, and we start with the women in that program saying, connect with others, just like whether it's the industry that Rohini already set for her own successful business restaurateurs but women should start that as they are in college and moving forward i need you and guys with- for
0: another hour
1: <laughs> i'm out
0: of time karen i'm sorry karen lang amy s hilliard and rohini day powerful powerful panel today thank you so much for your time
2: uh, Absolutely. Yes. thank you thank you